Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We've been very pleased and, of course, gratified that our podcasts are being received so enthusiastically. We've had requests to enable a way for listeners to have a conversation about episodes. We certainly welcome this idea and want to encourage those of you who do want to do that to do so on our forum so that the whole Uphill Athlete community can join in and benefit from this exchange. To do so, please start a new thread on the forum using the title of the podcast under the most appropriate category. Thanks for being part of this community. Welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete podcast. I'm your host, co-founder of Uphill Athlete, Scott Johnston. And with me today, I have the real pleasure of having my good friend, David Goodler, and Killian Journey join me for a talk about their recent attempt on Mount Everest. That uh, it's been a been a topic of some discussion, I think, for for folks. And I thought it would be nice to get the inside story from these two guys about you know their experiences there, and some what some of the things they encountered, what are some of the things they learned. Um, and I don't think that either one of them need a lot of introduction, so I, I won't. won't take up a lot of time with that. But um, so welcome, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me, especially on such short notice. Hey, welcome, Scott. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to you to, to invite us and to, to talk about, uh, about mountaineering, about uh, training, about whatever. Great. Well, um, well I want to get the ball rolling, but I mainly want to hear from, from you, for, you guys about, you know, what your, your your thoughts are, but if one of the things that jumped out with me because I've been working now for, as you know, Killian for five years or more with David is that you took, you took kind of polar opposite approaches to how you were going to acclimatize for this, for this trip, this climb of Mount Everest without using supplemental oxygen. And if it was okay with you to, I'd like to hear like why you chose the method you did um, if there's anything you would do different in the future and historically how these types of the different types of acclimatization have worked for you. So either one of you can start. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think we, we had a, a very similar approach to, to acclimatizing David and I, and uh, it was different in the first part. I was doing a, a first part uh, home in Norway um, mostly because I, like, uh, we were expecting a baby. So, uh, it was nice to, to acclimatize, uh, uh, not far like home and, and David was uh, doing it in, uh, in the Kumbu Valley. But, uh, I think this first, uh, let's say month to, to do in, in moderate altitude, like to go up to 6,000 meters, but just like train a lot on that, like feel very comfortable and just be like doing normal training at this altitude. Uh, and then when we get together in the mountain, it was pretty quick to go up to 8,000 meters, uh, to touch 8,000 meters, uh, 
in between like the, the first 10 days um, uh, uh, for me and like uh, uh, for that it was kind of the same like after this first period of acclimatization and uh, I think it, it works very well like I, I think that we were very well acclimatized uh, middle of, uh, of, um, of May uh, and I think it works it's a system that works very well if you are fit because you are able to go touch high altitudes very quick uh, and go go back to sleep uh, in low altitude. So I believe it's uh, it's something that uh, this year, I think we did it super good. I don't see something to improve on the acclimatizing part because it, it felt very smooth, uh, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, for me, it felt also really smooth. I mean, what I changed compared to the years before as you maybe know, and, and we talked about this in a previous podcast, that I did this two weeks going to Nepal, then coming back home to Chamonix, where I'm based in the winter for four or five weeks, do another set of like a big training block there, and then go back to Nepal for the real expedition. And this year, with all the travel restriction, it was too too difficult and too uncertain to travel back and forth. And of course... From our from my carbon footprint, it's also not a good thing to travel back and forth so many times. So this year I did it more kind of in a classic style. But what's really interesting that I think we both started kind of in like I mean I flew to Nepal second of April, and that was more or less the time, if I'm correct, where Kilian started to sleep in the tent. So overall, our time exposed or we took for this kind of first months of acclimatization to yeah 6,000 meters was from the days I think was completely the same like yeah like the number of days so that was I think really interesting and I think that's just maybe what our body in general kind of needs and then how Kilian arrived in, in, in Nepal and how quickly he then can transfer it to real altitude. This is something I think from sleeping in the tent to then transferring it to real altitude is something which is very yeah, individual or maybe unique even how quickly he can transfer that. And that is, I think, based on, on, on Kilian's kind of fitness level. And my part there this year, um, I, I did one small mistake like in like after two weeks where I felt I felt super strong and just pushed harder and harder and harder and and just didn't stick to the recovery days and and I got a little bit carried away how good it felt so I did like too quickly another round on Island Peak from Chukom and after that I felt like oh, I'm I'm totally uh, empty and then I went even further down a little bit not yeah, like I went to Dingboche, which is 4,000 meter and had five totally easy days there. I mean, I think you remember Scott when I told you, Oh my God, I, I hope I recover in these kind of five days. And I just was sitting there, did easy hiking, ate, and then kind of, then I went up and then I felt great again. So for sure, this is something uh, for me, would, what I need to remember next time that I, I really take, in, or don't get carried away when it really feels good and you can try to to overtake the acclimatization. Even I think both of us are very quick in getting an acclimatization and feeling good in altitude. 
and we we still need to to take care there. Yeah, that obviously, yeah, that at that altitude, you're kind of the, the recovery isn't as good. And um, it, it, my experience, which is nothing like your the two of you combined, especially, has been that pushing it a little bit too hard at altitude can really set you back and it takes quite a bit more time to recover afterwards. Um, but it sounds like, so Killian, you spent about how many weeks did you sleep in the hypoxic tent? So I, I was sleeping uh, four weeks, mm-hmm. I think four or five weeks before going more or less. And I, I believe like it's, it's just to spend hours. Uh, I think uh, you can sleep or you can train, but, uh, but, to acclimatize is not like to do some intermittent like uh, epoxy or whatever. It's just like to uh, either you are in altitude, like in, in, in a hut in the Alps or in, in the Kumbu Valley or in an epoxy tent, I think you need to put like 300 hours, 200, 300 hours in altitude be, before like feeling accl- like well acclimatized. So it was more like to spend the nights because it's easier to spend the night in a tent than, than during the day. And yeah, I put. I think I I put like three hundred hours in a tent before before going to the Himalayas. And is that pretty typical what you've done before? Yeah, it, it's been changing. Like uh, the in two thousand seventeen, when when I was in the north side, I did very similar, uh, like kind of around the same amount of hours before um, before going to to the mountains and actually in 2019 I was going to um, there uh, in, in the Himalayas and, and I didn't sleep in the tent because it was a lot of traveling things so I just did like uh, spend a lot of time in in the Alps and in Colorado uh, so around 4,000 meters and traveled to Himalaya and, and then the first two weeks were a bit harder but after it felt kind of the same. Yeah. Because okay. you know I, I have pretty good data on David's performance at altitude. And it was really interesting for me, you know, now so many years that he's been going over there and collecting this data in his uh, Garmin watch. And then I uploads it and I can see it. And we look at that, we talk about it. And it's, it's been interesting to see the improvement in his performance from multiple trips. And this is something that David and David and I talked about recently. And I think you David, I know you have a slightly different, um, perhaps, an opinion on on this than I do, but does it seem to you, Killian, that um, the more times you expose yourself to altitude, the the easier it becomes, the faster you can acclimatize? Or or is that just, you know, I mean, that's what I've noticed with myself, but I wonder if if I'm mistaken about that. Uh, I think so, but I don't think it's because you acclimatize better, but it's just because you know, what to feel think the first time you go to altitude like you feel so shit like it is you you cannot walk you you feel that everything is wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, and 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 it takes time and the second time you you know what to expect so when you feel shit like you 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 know that that's normal and i think also it's it's maybe more on uh, on systems it's not that you will acclimatize better every time but yeah, of course, your body will probably optimize a bit um, how to acclimatize, meaning that maybe the first time you go there, like you will rest a bit less because you feel like strong and then that, that will make um, 
uh, that you yeah that, that you recover less and then you feel uh, more tired and, and 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 the body is in shock so he don't knows how to do it and and probably like the body after with experience like on 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 metabolic side uh, on the metabolism on the on the uh, on the the blood adaptations it will know what he needs to do to adapt so it it will go directly there that means that uh, maybe it, it it cuts a bit of time but uh, i don't think it's like that the more you go to altitude like the faster you will acclimatize mm-hmm. but probably from the first times to the next ones it's just that your body is more used and, and knows how to do it and you you too like the resting i think it's 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 crucial mm-hmm. and and often we want to do a lot of activity and we forget to rest and so like uh, resting between the, the, the rotations and, and trying to rest very well, like to, to go low, to eat well. And that makes a huge difference, I think, too. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think yeah, pretty similar there. I think there are very small hints, and, and I think it's not studied yet um, in depth, that, that there are some things in our body which really kind of remember the, the process of acclimatization. I think there are some... some yeah, very few studies is on that, um, but nothing really solid. And uh, and I have the feeling, yeah, I just know my body so much better over these kind of now. I don't know, twelve, I don't know, yeah, twenty, fifteen years in uh, or twenty years, yeah, on an expedition in altitude every year. So you kind of know your your body so is so much better, and you know where you can push when you. And and also in the beginning, I, I I remember I was way too scared to really go full gas because you read all these stories and and like oh my god and and people just fall over and and then they are dead and this is like cerebral edema or whatever and and you like have this huge respect which everybody should have definitely, um, but over the years, over twenty years in the Himalayas, you kind of you, you know your body better. But then there, of course, there are examples where people they climbed all eight thousand meter peaks, and after that they went on one expedition and they got it wrong. And 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 so so still, I think you never should lose the respect, but you can kind of push harder and 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 kind of experiment more in in that kind of way. Um, and yeah, like, like, for example, now when I, I was really surprised for talking because Kilian talked about the rest days, like how consequent Kilian was really taking these kind of rest days. I remember, for example, with Uli, he was like always going, he was like, like, Hey, we do a rest day today. And he was like, kind of, okay, then I do another lab on Island Peak. And he did three times like Island Peak in three days, back to back to back. And, and I made the middle day, I, I, I did a rest day. And, and, and I think, but it's, I think it's so important. And that was something which was really cool to see. Like when we were now the first time together on expedition that, that, I mean, I knew I have also to focus on my kind of program in a way because I couldn't kind of, you know, do the same maybe intensity like Killian did. But in the end, we we had really super nice rest periods in Ferriture, which is lower down than base camp, 4,200 meters. And we really stick to them and and and, and rested. You know? And that's, I think, an interesting point that that you were you felt there would be so much advantage to dropping all the way down to Ferriche out of base camp. 
that you guys were willing to make that, you know, several hour journey um, back and forth. And what, what gave you or what, how did you arrive at that decision? Well, I mean, I did the same in 2019 and it felt really good. And I said, I, and I said like, yeah, I would really love to do the same. The lodge there is amazing. You have, and now it was even better because we were really on our own there. And, um, so with the whole kind of COVID situation and, and the combo, it was really good there. But in general, like this walk down, the moment you have, I think, I don't know, two or three nights, maybe three nights down there, I think it's worse to go down. And because like for, I mean, for Kian anyway, he just rolls down. I have really to, to walk down. I have to put a little bit more effort in. And then, but then it's, it's absolutely worse to, to go down and, and have like a nice bed we had you know like just this little bit more like maybe we had just like a generation of spoiled himalaya climbers already <laughs> in a way that we but i think it's it's if you have the possibility and you don't have this on and you know on k2 in in pakistan you can't do that and and it's really like on everest there on the south side is it's a huge advantage that you can do it and and i've felt super good 2019 and I think now it was also really nice or Kylian? Yeah I, I think like I, I'm i a big believer of like not sleeping in, in high altitude like I, I have never spent a, a night over 6,500 meters ever in, in, in a climb and I, I think that's good like if if um, because you rest the lower you, you sleep the best uh, the best you can recover the uh, and then like it's uh, yeah it's it's all about like um, in trying to, I think in, in, when you do an expedition is trying to, to maintain your fitness. And of course, like after a while, like with all these rest days, it can go down and trying to, to the declimatization is, is going up. So try to, that these two curves, they don't drop down. So I think the, yeah, if you sleep lower, like you are able to maintain, uh, the, the fitness for, for longer, um, and and I think that's uh, that's uh, what what we need, and especially like if you are able to go resting to a place where it's like not in a like it's not mineral. Like uh, uh, base camps are better, especially in Everest, it's super mineral, so it rocks and it dies, and it's it's not a very nice environment for that. And like you go down to a village where it's green around, where uh, you have good food, like you have a bed, just the, the sleep quality, it's it's so much better, and that makes a, I think it makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, two two points. Sorry, two points to that. I mean, I slept at at Camp Three one night, so I stick to sleeping at, at seven thousand two hundred, seven thousand three hundred for one night. So that was a difference. Like, I still kind of had the feeling. Oh, I I still think I want to, you know, go go for that night. And maybe at one point I I stopped this as well and and try to to yeah do the same just 6,000 and I totally kind of see the point like what, what Killian is saying for the these nights it's this they take so much out that's like even sleeping higher I think is definitely and in the old days I did this so I I like reduced these nights a lot and now it was one night at 7,300 which I had um and there was another point ah yeah and the and the other point for going down I think one thing would I would change the next time is that I really I did one time one mini 
um, strings work out, just yeah. some box step, you know, like our kind of like a reduced classic Apple athlete ME workout, kind of gym workout thing there with only body weights and box step and this kind of stuff. And I felt my legs three days. I don't know. And it was a mini thing and I, and I felt that. And I think with something like this, I would love to experiment the next time, for example, in these lower elevations, like for two or 4,000 to sprinkle in some of these strengths workout and would like to see if you can maybe at least keep the kind of strengths level a little bit longer from, from your legs or, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So how many days were you taking between rotations when you were down at, in Parache at 4,200 meters? Do you remember just r- roughly how, how long you would stay there? It was between like three, four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, then like in the end, we take some longer, but it was more because the weather. Uh, so you try to, but, uh, but I think like between three and five days. So normally, because normally it was to go down, then do a one complete rest day or like just a walk and then like a one or two training days, one rest day and they go up again, something like that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that idea, Killian, about uh, trying to maintain some strength training uh, um, of some sort? Because as you know, the it's not possible to do very high intensity at those high elevations. And so you can lose a little bit of fitness that way and some strength. And you think, have you ever tried anything like that? No, I think it's, um, it's, it, I have never tried to, to do like a strength work when I'm there, but I think it's very interesting because you are las- losing muscle when you are uh, in expedition and, and, and probably if, if, if you are sleeping low, so you are resting well, if it's not, uh, yeah, uh, if it's a comfortable place, uh, I think it's, it's, it's just adding. I think it's something that, uh, yeah, we need to explore more in the future. Well, maybe they're going to have to build, after people listen to this podcast, they're going to have to build a bigger lodge in Ferche to handle all the people coming down from Everest Base Camp that want to spend their uh, recovery days down there. How did you guys manage the whole COVID craziness around base camp. That must have been really a big challenge. Well, definitely it was. I mean, I think there was there were two components for me, at least there was this outside component when I had the, at one point, the, the feeling that really like the journalists and the, and the media and, and, and people who were not even in Nepal, they kind of would love that, that the season were ended there in, in Everest, just for an example of like, of, yeah, like, like, I don't know an example for what, but, but just like, Hey, you've seen, we told you, it's like, you shouldn't go and, and now they should close down. So this was the one stress I think, which I felt where, where we had this uncertainty always of, Oh my God, maybe they shut it down. And you kind of tried to, to not get too much into it. And it's just like, if it happens, it happens. And we knew this from the beginning that this could happen at any moment. And then the other component was the one really where we are, like in, in the Kumbu. And, and often this were completely different to what the media portrayed from the outside, from the other side of the world, and kind of their perspective. And, and there... It was was very 
yeah, like it was strange in a way because I, I think in the end the the Everest is always kind of a mirror of the of the rest of the world of the society outside what they do. You know, like is is I here in Spain. I mean, I'm in summer based in Spain, and and when they finished. The, when they didn't extend the state of emergency, the government said, okay, now we cannot have any kind of curfew. And that day, it was Friday, you know, Saturday was the first day where there were no curfews. So midnight Saturday, from Friday to Saturday, the people were allowed to go outside. So there were, and normally until 10 o'clock in the evening was the curfew before. So there were these weird two hours where nobody was allowed outside, but then at midnight they start to go partying, like in everywhere. It was like a big fiesta. And you think like, okay, like how does, how does this work? You know, the, the, the virus is not like, because there is no curfew anymore or cur no state of emergency, the, the virus goes away. No, it doesn't go like this. And the same for the base camp. And if people don't realize that, 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 you know, that, the, just because they're in a base camp, they're in a bubble, and at the moment maybe nobody has symptoms, that it's uh, that it cannot kind of um, come up there and suddenly spread around. Then, then it's just yeah, it's the same kind of behavior in a, in a way, and and so that's I think a little bit what we saw there, and then this kind of yeah, the, the the people were really had this feeling, oh, we are in a bubble, so we are kind of safe here. And for us, it was pretty clear. Like we kept super strictly distance to everybody. We we didn't had had, had meals in the dining tent when there when there were others. We went always down to our lodge, where in the end there was nobody, and it was just us. We had like single rooms in the lodge. We we even when we were sitting yeah somewhere in a room together, we kept the mask on. Um, so even we kind of thought we are not in a bubble like we too, you know? And so, so we really tried as much as possible to, yeah, like to, to stay away from everybody. And it worked quite well, I would say. And I, I had never the feeling that, Oh my God, I'm, we are, um, yeah, in, 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 in a bad situation here or that we, that, yeah, that we are super high risk. I mean, not more than, than going somewhere here, to the supermarket yeah exactly i i think it's that it's it's just like to take common sense uh, but uh, uh unfortunately it was uh as uh, david said like some people that uh were just like living in another world uh, but i think it's that that happened in every country like uh you you see like uh, the, um, how we act uh in front of these things and you saw just the same in the base camp so as people taking care people taking less care and I, uh, then like i think in the villages down like uh uh people was like uh taking care uh, doing normal so it was kind of uh without any tourists uh, or very few tourists but uh in the villages i i wouldn't say the situation was was pretty normal because it was not a lot of interaction compared to, to maybe the base camp where it was more movement. And, and then it was really also interesting to see or it changed so much during my time when I arrived there, like beginning of April, when I arrived in the villages, everybody there was like, there were only more or less only local people. And because there were not much trekkers around, some trekkers at that point, 
because they just started to open and nobody had a mask and everybody was like, no, Corona or COVID is not here. Not, we don't have this, like every, everything. And everybody was so happy to see some tourists coming and to open up. And they were so excited to have a finally after this kind of drought of, of, of no tourists, which is brutal for them, um, tourists coming. So, so that was kind of normal. And then, slowly the numbers kind of started and then this this kind of yeah the variant from india came over which had nothing to do with the with the climbers so it's not that it would have come either way with or without open um climbing peaks there and and then we saw during the time we were there how how it changed and suddenly all the the people in the villages they suddenly were wearing masks and they were more careful and and at that point, I also don't know what, like to close then the mountain or to stop the season. I don't know if that would have been good for any anything. Like if it would made a change in in because like the oxygen which is used. I mean, we didn't use oxygen, but the oxygen was there on Everest. It's it's quite a lot, but it's a it's a drop for what you would need to kind of yeah, like give somebody with with severe COVID symptoms in a hospital. So this is just a symbolic um, kind of yeah, gesture, if you want so. And then to suddenly end the season, like midway when half, everything is on the mountain and, 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 yeah, and, and the people suddenly have to go back when it's the worst to get back to Kathmandu and, and all of this. So I think it's, I don't have like an answer to it, but I think it's just like, it's not as kind of easy to say, Hey, it would have been better to stop the season. And certainly some of the expeditions there were stopped, right? I mean, there were a number of expeditions that had to you know, forego their summit attempts, right? From what I understood, some, some of the Sherpa got sick and some of the, the uh, European Westerners got sick as well. Yeah, I, I think that's that's also difference. Like, if you are like doing expedition by yourself, or if you are like running an expedition, a commercial expedition, because if you are going for yourself, you are accountable of your health. But that's that's all. While when you are running expedition, and I think like for commercial expeditions, if they got uh, some people in their staff sick, then of course like they they need to cancel because it's that the clients will not climb by themselves. So they need to have all the full, full staff and all that. So I think it was most of the promises like when, uh, but yeah, if, if they got like Sherpas or the, they got like some porters, uh, sick, they, yeah, they needed to cancel because it, it was not enough people for them in the mountain to, to climb. And, um, yeah, I think I, uh, I, I, I lived the same experience in 2019 when, it was big Serac in the mountain and like uh, if you were alone, like you could pass, but if you were in a commercial expedition, like you would not send the, the Sherpas to, to cross the, the Kumbo Icefall because like you put their lives in risk. So I think it's also like to, to make the difference between like if you are, yeah, going to climb the mountain by yourself or you are like employing people uh, and putting them in risk. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. Thanks for making that. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the takeaway for me from what you've just said is that the, the 
for you guys, it was in a way perhaps easier because you had this independence and mobility. Uh, obviously, you're very, very experienced at this sort of thing. So you're able to make uh, risk assessments and judgments on the mountain, both on the mountain and off the mountain, and be very flexible uh, in, in the way you approach this. Whereas a, a big commercial expedition wouldn't have that that same sort of flexibility, and um, and of course they don't. The, they, as you said, the, the the clientele that's going on those trips usually doesn't have the experience to make those kind of judgment calls themselves. But speaks all the more to having the experience that you guys have when you go there, <laughs> um, being able to fend for yourself. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, also, it's also totally okay to go there with a commercial expedition, hire a good guide, hire a good company, and, and you know, do it in, in that way if, you're, if, you're, yeah, if you want this experience. And, um, it's nothing wrong with that. But, but yeah, you're, you're for sure way more dependent on, on all these kind of puzzle pieces which have to, to yeah, fit, fit together. And I mean, we have, we are also dependent on a lot of puzzle pieces, which have to fit together from, from our own heads to, to the conditions forever. And we are also on a mountain like Everest, you're always affected also from what the other big expeditions are doing. So, you know, um, it's not that you're completely, um, independent on that, but, but of course the flexibility we have just for that, we don't use oxygen, you know, once the kind of, big ship over a huge expedition kind of uh, yeah started or took off like when they start to use oxygen like from camp two then 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 it has to kind of keep going because otherwise they have not enough oxygen for halfway up and then down and then another round in or most of the times they don't have mm. have this uh, yeah this kind of network and and for me it was really this time also interesting and and cool to see like the nepali agencies now for example they 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 start to to catch up so good and and i mean we were had a kind of insight in this uh, bahrain team for example and it was so impressive how good they i mean they are no mountaineers you know but 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 they they did it in a way that they made everything possible to make it maximum safe and without a risk. And then you see, on the other hand, people who try to save like, yeah, like here a thousand and there a thousand there. And, but still they are also no mountaineers. And, and, and then it, this is where, where the, I don't know. You, I don't know if we can say this here, but where the sh hits the fan. I don't know. I think if we can beep, say that. If, if you beep, if you beep that out here, if this is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. No, we don't need to do that. We don't need to censor anything. Um, and so you went, did you go with a, a Nepalese uh, trekking agency that, that your operator that you were affiliated with? Cause I know you use some of their base camp facilities and uh, you must've been on their permits to help pay for the, the ice fall work and that sort of thing. How did you guys manage that? Yeah, like uh, actually, it was um, uh, uh, um, I got the permit for um, last year uh, with a Nepali agency, uh, and then like uh, last year was cancelled, like everything. So then uh, they like they I got the money for that this year. So it was uh, yeah, Nepali agency, and uh, and basically it was like 
it's to share the like to get the permit like uh, you need to go through an agency and and uh like basically what we wanted was to have permit for the mountain like the the fees for garbage and and the and the ice fall and uh and that that was all like and then like uh we got um yeah a tent in the base camp that uh, actually we didn't use that much because we were like going all the way to to Parisi almost all the time but uh but it was good to to have that too uh, and that I mean, was how, basically how many, all, yeah. sorry, how many days you slept in base camp Kilian? this was like record low of <laughs> yeah i think like I think three or four days in base camp. So yeah, not four nights. Oh my four god! Four nights in base camp maximum. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, not, <laughs> <Yeah>. not much. <laughs> oh damn it! I had a little bit more because I did one more rotation in the beginning, and then we got bad weather, so I had to wait a little bit longer in in base camp. So I think I have like in total nine or ten. But yeah, yeah it's but not much. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Not much at all. Um, but there must have been some. And both of you are very experienced at climbing these big mountains. But I would be curious to know about lessons you learned on this trip um, compared to previous trips. I mean, obviously, you brought a lot of knowledge and experience with you into this. I mean, I, I know that from you know, my working very closely with, with um, David around him with his training, um, uh, I think the training went especially well this year for him. And I know he was very fit. He was kind of worried about showing up in base camp and with you, Killian. Um, but it, it sounds like it worked out pretty well. But other than that, the training aside, um, or maybe, maybe Killian, how did you feel about your preparation, your training for, for this year? Did you feel as good as you did in 2019 and you know, 2017? I think so. Like, I think fitness was, was good, uh, both of us. Uh, we were fit in the mountain. We could move uh quickly like uh of course like the first weeks you go there like it's always like very very hard to to climb the the first rotations but i think we were in terms of fitness was was great and i think in terms of climatization was was very good too um and then like uh it's uh, i would say like it was a bit frustrating this year since like you feel like you are physically ready uh, and we were well acclimatized and then it's like like the 15th of May, we were like, okay, ready to go. And then it's like, uh, it's just like, uh, yeah, conditions or, or, or weather that it don't align and, and you are waiting, waiting, waiting. And that's, that's always frustrating not to be able to, to give, um, uh, a solid, uh, try or like to put everything on the, uh, on there. But, uh, for the preparation, like looking backwards now, like what could we change? Like, uh, for for having a better chance like i don't think preparation or acclimatization uh, i think it went it went great like you always can improve things but uh but uh, i think it i, I think uh, that was that was good so it was a good example like to to keep it like to 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 keep for the for the following years and, and david what about your thoughts yeah i mean, i always i think yeah they Kilian is, is right. I think it's difficult. I, I think with these situations we had, there were coming these two cyclones in, in, in like a super short periods, which totally messed up all the forecast and, and the weather in the end. But, and, and that I would like to change for next time, please. That yes. not <laughs> these cyclones anymore, <laughs> if that's possible. But from the preparation and, and how we, 
yeah, the acclimatization, how we moved up and down the mountain. I think this is super cool. Of course, we can tweak, I think, always on the, on the gear side and on the kit. There, of course, I think we both come back and have like, oh, we should maybe, you know, this and this here. And, and I have, for example, this electric heating socks, which I, again, kind of, I said, okay, that works now good. But again, when I came home now, I, I wrote down like, okay, here and here, I have to change it from just from the system, things like that. I think it's always, and it's fun to work there better and, or to improve this kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and then I think for the, for the next time it's really cool because we, we know, I think above 6,000 meters, we kind of like, yeah, we work really well together as a team. I mean, below we worked also really good as a team, I think, but, but of course there, there is also something which I think is super important always if you, you have to acknowledge kind of where, where our background is, where we come from. And, and it would be stupid, you know, that if I would try to, you know, run as fast as Kilian from base camp down to Ferriche. And, and often also we timed it in a way that for me, it was way more easy to just then don't see him kind of on the horizon or start with Kilian, even it would have been nice to kind of, you know, do a chatty chat, but but in the end, it's, it stresses me way more out if I try to keep up there. And so I think this is, in, in general, is always always good if you, especially in altitude, I think that you really focus on your own pace and, and don't let you kind of, you know, carry away. And I think above 6,000 meters, it, it worked really well. And, and there, of course, it's always cool also to have someone, I think, to, to like compared to my 2019 when I was alone, I I enjoyed it quite a lot to to be together with someone and in general I'm not kind of someone who actually uh, enjoys it so much to be alone I think like I love to be in a team where it fits the the team dynamics and where that fits and so there I think it's really good and it's just super important to have someone I think yeah where where all these kind of boxes are ticked. Yeah and and just one other thing actually from when when we try like to to go up um, uh, the, the last day, like uh, in the normal road. Uh, w- what was uh, interesting is that both of us, like we felt like uh, sick somehow and, 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 and we, we didn't find why, uh, but uh, probably like the only thought that we, uh, that it came out, it was about like maybe some kind of insulation or things like that. And it's true that at the end of the of the spring, it's it's hot. It's very very warm, both in base camp or in in camp two. And if you are in a tent, like it's, it's just a sauna, like uh, you, you are you are just uh, sweating so much, and, and it's uh, difficult to rest. And that so I think it that that's also a difference on like trying to to sleep down and not be intense. Um, the yeah the the when just before going up, like to, to try to cool down because I mean, like when you climb without oxygen, like every single thing makes a difference. And, 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 uh, yeah, probably like, uh, just to have this kind of, uh, yeah, insulation that it's something that like, it might be interesting to look a bit more into it. Uh, but it's not about the preparation or the climatization, but just these small things like food, like how to improve food, because like, you know, an expedition also like, uh, after, uh, a lot of days uh, eating the same, like you are like, oh, that's so hard to eat. Uh, and, and just like these small things, I think like food, uh, the, the, the recovery or like uh, to be 
cool down uh, in temperature when you are in the high camps, things like that, that this makes also a difference. That's, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, for, for sure. I totally forgot about the food thing we had. Totally, yeah. I, I, because it was like so, like we were, oh, what should we eat? What should we eat? It was really difficult this time. And so for sure there we need to, I need to find something which works better or we both. And, and I'm also pretty sure that in the end, like the day, because we got a lot of, or I at least got some comments and probably you as well, that, that people said like, oh, for sure you were just like running so much up and down the, all the kind of weeks before that on your summit attempt, you were totally kind of tired. And that's why you were, we are turning around and that's why you for shit. And it was definitely not that. It was no. so much difference. And, and then I, I think it was the sun exposure the day before. And, and we had the same kind of sun exposure on, on, on like acclimatization um, rounds there when we, but it was always, we slept then after a hot day, we slept in camp two. And, and this time we started both in the evening and started to walk through the night. So our body didn't have this kind of nice, like long mm -hmm. nights because it's long nights there. Our body didn't have this kind of 10, 12 hours like in the night, just lying and resting and kind of getting again all this kind of, yeah, like, like a, a small heat stroke, if you want to say so, kind of out of your body. And, and because we started in the evening and continued to walk up to, to camp, camp to the South Col to 8,000 meter. And this was the only time we really did this after kind of, yeah, the sun exposure, if I'm, I'm right. And so, mm -hmm. And and that's why I think we felt it so different, or why it kind of yeah struck us so hard there. And the thing was really we we started like with two hour delay from camp two because Kilian he came directly from base camp and I went in the morning up and then I had the whole day in camp two and started up going going up and and the funny thing is that we when we met then in at the south call like Kilian said to me, oh, I had this kind of really thing. I said, I had exactly the same. I mean, I can't believe it. We had exactly the same kind of symptoms. In, and so we were like, oh my God, that's really crazy. You know, as, as if we would have, yeah, like agreed on that before, which kind of symptoms we pick in, in a way, but it wasn't like that. Well, the, you were certainly moving fast, and I, I think that was what was. Uh, you, know, you were uploading information so that I could see it, David, on a you know not on a daily basis, but when you'd get back down to Perche, um, you would put some data up for me to see. And uh, I mean, the, the the rate of ascent that you guys were doing at eight thousand meters is remarkable. Um, so I think clearly you were very fit, both of you. It's I mean, some of the fastest. Uh, uh, rate of climb I've ever seen at, at those kind of altitudes. Um, but, it, and I think it's something that often goes ununderstood by people that haven't been on big glaciers, even at high altitude, just how hot it can get. And especially I think in the w Western Coombe there, where it's like a big reflector oven and it's just hitting you from all directions and makes, you know, lying in a tent becomes un almost unbearable and you certainly can't rest when you're in those kind of situations. And it's, it's sort of, it seems like a, uh, a strange thing where one day you're worried about frostbite and then the next day you're worried about heat stroke. <laughs> it's kind of, how do those things fit together? And 
but it sounds like you both were demonstrating. I mean, I'm certainly no doctor, but I have a little bit of, you know, wilderness medical experience. And it sounds like both of you were kind of having some symptoms of heat stroke. Yeah. And that's, that's something that you, you cannot believe that in Everest, like uh, you always picture that uh, like fr frozen temperatures and that, but actually it's super, super warm during the day. Yeah. And for sure, it's something which I have to, where I struggle way more. If it's cold, I do way better um, compared to, yeah, a little bit too hot. I really, my performance goes down like, yeah, plumbing. Well, I, David and I talked, uh, Killian, briefly about bringing up another subject that's maybe a little more controversial, and that is this seeming pandemic of self-promotion that we see on social media with climbers talking about, you know, what they're going to climb and how they're going to do this or that. And, and I wanted to get the impressions that what you guys feel about that, because you're pretty, both of you are quite low key in your approach to these mountains, you know, and how you, you know, you didn't, I'm sure you didn't, uh, you weren't waving any banners about what you planned to do when you got to, to Everest. You just showed up and did what you could and you know, came, came pretty close, but obviously didn't, didn't work out the way you had hoped. But does it seem to the two of you, and you're much more in, uh, in the mainstream of this kind of information than I am, uh, but David and I have certainly discussed this, that there is more and more of this sort of shameless self-promotion, I would call it, that, that goes, is going on? And you think that's driven by, you know, sponsorship needs and money or how, what's, what's behind all that? Yeah, well, I think it's, uh, it's driven by, by the culture of uh, communication we have today. And, and it's, uh, I think it changed like from, from a, of course, it was a period of time where, uh, you, you, like to plan expedition in, in, in any big summit, you need to apply for the permit. It was one permit per mountain every year. Uh, so, so then of course, like uh, you needed to, to publish or to say what you were going to do because it would take like two years between, before like uh, you get the permit and that. Uh, but uh, we came from that to today where like climbing in Himalayas, it's, it's like climbing in the Alps more or less. Like uh, you, you go there, you climb and, and, and wherever, no? Um, but, uh, uh, then like, I think it's, it's, it's very easy to, to make projects on a map, like to dream. Uh, but from, from that to reality, it's, it's, it's a long way, you know, and I think it's, um, to tell, yeah, to, 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 to tell a succeed before you do it. Like it's, that's, that's just bullshit. Like it's, it's no, it's not reality. It's like, okay, like, uh, I will, uh, like uh, coming from competition, like, okay, you are world champion when you have win the race, uh, you climb a mountain when you, uh, when you have done the project, no? And, and I think, um, uh, and today, how magnif yeah, how, how the medias magnifies everything. If you say anything, uh, like uh, it just, uh, it just so magnifies and it just like so many people just talking about uh, before, like it's, it's actually, actually done also it's i think it's better to put the work on on doing the things doing the project climbing uh, and then explain what you have done 
than uh, than just trying to to sell things that uh, you don't know if you are able to do it or not. Um, and that's yeah, it's it's more common. I think it's also because it's it's very easy to say I will do that. Uh, you just need to 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 put in a post in social media, uh, and actually uh, it's it's much more difficult to do it. But uh, but probably the people got the promotion and the the awareness just from saying it, and then they don't care if if it's in their capacities or not. Yeah, I mean for. For sure, this the the new way you can self promote yourself and without any filter make this stage so much bigger that every anybody can just yeah put out there his lifetime dream and and you know I never would say hey don't dream big do it you know like but 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 the kind of like where I start to have a, not a problem, but where I find like, ah, oh, this is just like a little bit kind of off is when, when, uh, when people who, who never climbed any 8,000 meter peak without oxygen, they suddenly say they do like the whole kind of horseshoe traverse more or less in, in the next, in, in a season where it's kind of, it's just, it would be if I say, Hey, I go this summer to UTMB and, and I will win it. You know, it's kind of, it's like, would be ridiculous. And I think I am, uh, of course, I, in an ideal world, I would also love always to go under the radar, just go to the mountain. Nobody knows I'm there. Then I do something. And if I really pull that off, then I go make it public. But I also think if you're really like a, in the professional kind of bracket, then it's also okay to, to maybe go to a mountain and say, hey, you maybe want to do that and that project, but it, we know it's super unlikely that everything needs to be for a place. And, but still, you kind of should have uh, uh, like your, your knowledge and your, your ability should at least be matching with that project. You know, it's, it's like, and, and, and then I think it's okay. It's okay to go to the, to the yeah, if you qualify for the Olympic Games or for the you go to the UTMB and have there your points and you're one of the favorites, it's okay if you say up front, I really want to win that race. You know, it's it's okay to to have that, mm. and but but because everybody knows anything can happen during that race. Anybody knows everything can happen during an Everest you know attempt, and and it's about be, being honest. I think just to. Like not to try to magnify, like not to try to 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 sell more than than it it really is, and just to be honest uh, about about uh, yeah about yourself and about the project and and uh, yeah I think that's at the end it just this it just yeah being humble about uh, your ambitions even if if they are big but uh, not to yeah and being realistic I think too. Yeah, I think that is his point. Like being realistic about what you are really, yeah, can do, and and taking into account that that yeah, everything need to be perfect. And I saw it already now two times, two thousand nineteen, and this year, yeah, I I felt super good until until I turned around more or less. So it's kind of you know everything can happen, and, and, and yeah. life can get in the way. And as as you're saying, Killian, it. It's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, all these things. It's easy to talk big and easy to talk about them beforehand. And 
Um, you know, I've been, I've been involved in this world since, you know, for, oh, gosh, but over 50 years now, and things have changed a lot. Um, but I, and I remember in experiences when I was young and, you know, much more, very active in climbing and uh, where people would talk about what they were going to do. But when they got shot down, you know, their attempts failed. It was kind of a humiliating experience. You know, they would, oh, they kind of, I think people would learn from it. Like you were saying, killing to be humble. And it doesn't take too many of those things where you've been bragging about what you're going to do and then failed before you learn the lesson that maybe being humble is a little better way to go. Um, and, I, and then certainly, you know, when I, I spent years working with Steve and coaching him, I I saw that, you know, firsthand, you know, that and then this other, the next generation of climbers um, coming along. And, and he was, you know, certainly one of those ones that was quite humble about his approach. And, you know, and, and be, obviously there was no social media in those days or nothing like it is today. But you know, it sometimes took weeks and weeks, if not months, for people to find out what Steve had already done, because we had to wait until the next magazine, climbing magazine, came out and had some information about it. So, the, and I mean, the, there you had there you had the filter of the of the journalists who wrote the story in the magazine, and nowadays, actually, with not being humble, with being just loud, you get quite far, I have to say, <laughs> and and you can be pretty successful in terms of kind of sponsoring and all of this if you just be be loud. So, Good point. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe that's an angle that a lot of people are playing. Well, what what other what have we not covered that you guys feel like we should talk about a bit? Anything? Well, I mean, one one thing just pops out just like a little bit to the to our last point here that I think at at the eight thousand meter peak, especially on an Everest, there is this kind of unique situation that this kind of commercial expedition, mountaineering, tourism, whatever you want to call it, kind of, you know, like, um, kind of like goes through, through all kind of shades through the kind of other end of the spectrum where, 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 yeah, like, um, professional athletes or whoever you want to call them were mountaineers with a lot of experience kind of tried to do something and, and, and still it gets kind of all muddled up in one kind of pot of or called Everest. And, and this is very unique, I think, in, in that kind of regard where, where then it's so difficult to have to really see and also, yeah, like report or, or read about all these nuances. And because if you see in any other sports, in, in rock climbing, for example, it's just great in, in running in, in ultra running and trail running it's just the time in the end which immediately tells you kind of the the where the people are and and even they all line up for the same UTMB from maybe amateurs to to the professionals and in the end it's just the time who totally kind of yeah like puts it in a in a right perspective and and on Everest there as there are no rules in mountaineering which is beautiful there is this kind of pitfall that it's kind of all, yeah, kind of yeah, muddled up and being together in one pot. Yeah, well, I, I think it's more than in, uh, in mountaineering or alpinism needs. Uh, uh, we probably fail on explaining what 
alpinismis uh, and i mean like uh, all alpinists like uh, what's what's the difference between uh, a first ascent or what's the difference between alpine style or or another style what's the difference between uh, going with oxygen or without oxygen i think that's that's something that that public and, and not only like uh, i'm not talking about the guy in new york or in paris but uh, even like uh, practitioners like uh, people that go to the mountain they don't really understand what are the the difference or they might think that they are small differences when in reality uh we know that it's 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 a completely different world and i think uh, we we have failed to 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 explain that well so like people can comprehend the sport better yeah. uh, and and especially today when we see that it's uh it's this much more like a uh, yeah, it's, it's more expeditions in the mountains. So it's not only alpinists that they go to the mountains. It's easier to, to, it's easier for the, for the public to, to, to miss out and to, to don't see the differences. Uh, but that's, that's primarily our fault that we, we haven't been able to, to say the differences are like, uh, that in other sports, everyone, yeah, everybody will know what, what it is. Like if you drive a motorbike or if you drive a bicycle, but, uh, because, because it's been explained or like doping, like, uh, that it's bad, but in opinion, it haven't been explained that. So I think it's, it's, we have a work to do, like to, to, to educate. And I mean, it's, it's not good or bad. It's just different, but it's important to, to comprehend, uh, what the, this difference means. I think that, yeah, that's a great point both of you bring up. And thank you for doing that because I, you know, I've, I've certainly seen that evolve over my lifetime. I mean, when my trips to the Himalaya were like you were saying, Killian, there was one permit issued for the mountain. And, you know, if you, you didn't get that permit, you might be waiting two, three years until another opportunity came. And, um, and that, that definitely <clears throat> changed the, the, uh, the, the approach that people took to these mountains. And I think that it, one of the effects that I've seen as a, you know, someone who trains these amateur mountaineers to go climb these big mountains is that people, like when I was you know, in that, in that realm, you know, climbing something like, like Mount Everest or K2, which for me was, you know, kind of the height of my uh, climbing experience was you had to spend 20 years paying your dues before you would even consider taking on a task like that. And I think that's something that isn't well appreciated today because of the changes in the, the approach to climbing these mountains now and the fact that there you know, so many permits get issued um, and then the publicity around people climbing them. And as you said, Killian and, and both and David, when they, the, the general public doesn't know the difference between um, you know, your record attempt or your record that you set on, on, on Everest a couple of years ago and just their friend who went on a commercial expedition. They don't really see that there's a distinction. Whereas, you know, if, if, when you line up at the start of a race or when you look at the results of a race, you can see very distinctly, oh, this person is, you know, this person can run it, you know, a 26 minute, you know, 10,000 meters. And I run a 46 minute, 10,000 meters. That's a huge difference in ability. And I think that that's just not as, as obvious. I don't know. How do you think that could be done? 
to make you know it, make it more into the public consciousness that that we're almost talking two different sports here in some ways. Well, I think it's 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 our job to do it. I mean, like it's we need to to explain these differences and educate on that. And and I think because alpinists in general they are pretty private persons, like. Yeah, so it's uh, it's hard to get out the words. Like it's hard to 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 get that out. It's more like we want to keep the things for ourselves. So I think it's it's just to open up on this and, and bring these conversations. And I think it's it's often like seen that it's a uh, you want to be against something, and it's not that. Like I, uh, it's not to be against the guy that goes with oxygen or against the guy that goes like uh, in uh, in a. Uh, expedition style it's just like different and, and explain the differences and, and 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 to to get past this you are on this club or this other club but it's just like to 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 yeah n- not be on the hate uh, um, talk but to be on, on on just like educational talk and, and, and explain differences I think that that's something that uh, yeah we uh, first, as like alpinists, we need to explain what what are those differences. Why, why, why we climb this way? Uh, why we we renounce to 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 use this this technology or this means that they exist to climb a mountain? And and it's that's that's then the the goal of of, of mountaineering is it's it's to climb a summit on the the most difficult way you know like uh, taking away like uh facilities but uh yeah we need to, to be able to explain that to, to the last public yeah for sure there is it's our job and with like good journalists who kind of yeah spread that word and and put it even in better phrases and then and yeah to to educate the people i think where i often it's difficult often for me at least that if you say something, yeah, you don't want to be kind of, you know, pointing with fingers on others and you just kind of yeah, show it just like on your kind of example, what you think is, is like, like a, a style or your style, you should explain, let's say like this. And, and often it's written then so quickly that it's, that you are jealous about like what the others are or jealous about this other style and which is, which is definitely not the case, and also like Achillean said, I think it's not that 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 I think, yeah, like like people who can who climb with oxygen, it's it's totally fine for me. I have nothing against them, and and so it's just yeah, making it clear that it's a totally different sport, like like you said. Good. And how many people have climbed Everest now? In total, do you, you guys have any idea? Oh, I don't have the numbers here, but I, yeah. Just guessing, you know, a couple I thousand. Think like thousands. Yeah, a good, good couple of thousands. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and how many people do you think have climbed it without oxygen? I think it's like 200 or 200, yeah. 250, Not something like this so. without oxygen. And yeah, yeah, like a couple of thousands for sure. I think it's like the, uh, between the one and the 3% of the assets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that would make sense. Yeah. 
So that that right there tells you a big a lot. <laughs> That's just those the difference in those two numbers tells you quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I mean, then so on, on a mountain like Everest, of course, like if we climb it, we are the normal route. Um, we benefit from all the people who are there with oxygen. You know, we have to yeah. tell that as well. This side as well. And it's this the is track, so, it's a fixed road. This is the ice fall. So. This is so so often you just leave these puzzle pieces in your storytelling away because you, and, and the same, like every person, if they don't have to tell, I climbed Everest with oxygen, they leave this with oxygen away because it's just like, they know the difference in to me. I, or I, I think they, everybody knows the difference who climbed it, but you tell it, I climbed Everest and, and you don't say with oxygen or without oxygen. And the same is then, then yeah, like, like, like we need to acknowledge and, and we, I think we do. And I try always to really put this out there that we totally benefit on a normal route from all the infrastructure there. I mean, on the icefall, we would, I mean, Killian was in when you were the, the year before and there was no fixed lines, I think, or very few and no tracks. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had like, it took you hours through the icefall and now we did it in like one, one and a half hours or whatever or something like that. So you, you, you see the difference, what it, what it makes. And, and of course it makes, and it, and again, this has nothing to do with alpinism going up the normal route on Everest. This is, has nothing to do. It's like a, it's like a sport. Like for me, it would be a really cool sport achievement if I climb it without oxygen and without, without somebody carrying my, my stuff. And, uh, but it, I never would it kind of, you know, put it under the alpinism umbrella because it has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to be respectful of your time. I know it's about, about 10 o'clock at night there or a little bit after. Um, anything else we should uh, touch on? No, I, I, I just want to like, uh, thank you. Like, uh, because it's, 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 um, I think alpinism and it's, it seems that the, the training topic, it's, it's been hidden for many years. Like people, alpinists don't train, but it's, it's, that's, that's false. Like it's been like alpinists has been training always. And like, uh, the job that you are doing, like to putting science on, on, on looking from what other sports can bring to alpinists is changing uh, a lot of things. And it's, it's bringing some, yeah, a lot of good inputs. And I think it's, it's great to, to have podcasts and to have like, uh, resources where we can find like, uh, science about uh, physiology or training science uh, specific in alpinism because it's not much studies, it's not much done and it's a lot that it can be improved I believe and it can be done so it's just like uh, yeah for, for the folks that they are listening here to 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 read all these things to to, to get research that it's uh, it's uh, it's very interesting and, and I think you can improve a lot your your performance in, in any activity in the mountain, just like by knowing better how our body yeah, can improve with, with the different training and with the different methods. Thank you. And, and you of course played a big part of that in the second book training for the uphill athlete that um, we wouldn't have written that if it hadn't been for you. So I appreciate it. I remember when you contacted, um, 
I think as you contacted Steve on uh, some point after you'd, you'd read training for the new alpinism and you said, hey, this is great, but you should do a book like this about, you know, training for these other mountain sports. And, um, yeah, but that was the impetus for that. And I, I, I really appreciate your, your pushing us in that direction and then really helping me yeah, when, in the writing of that so that we could kind of make sure we were kind of, I wanted to be able to tell this information in a way that was very accessible for people. And then, you know, especially when it came to the, the actual uh, writing of training plans or telling people how to develop their own training plans, I think you and I had quite a good collaboration back and forth about how we might you know, best do that. And so far, it seems like it's been well received. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to you for, for your help with all that. Well, thanks. And David, I keep learning from you all the time about uh, you know, the the limits of you know what people can do. You know, there's there's a few of the couple of the other professional athletes that I coach where I just keep being amazed. Like with you know, you know, you and I have this long history now of using the same types of workouts or slightly modified versions of those workouts. And we just keep seeing gains after, you know, year after year after year when we, you know, I look back at your training logs from, you know, two years ago and some of the comments I was making about, wow, I can't believe how fast and fit you are. And then I look at things that happened, you know, this year and I, they're so much faster and fitter than you were then. It's like, where's the, where's the end? Either, either I wasn't doing a very good job then and I'm doing a better job now or we're just showing that, you know, that, and I, I think Killian, you're living proof of this, that, you know, these fitness gains can, you can build year after year after year for many, many years. And um, so David, you've been a really critical part of my journey and learning about how to, how to train athletes. And um, you know, it's been, it's yes. a lot of fun. Thank you. I think it's a team. It's a team effort. And I mean, we all learn from each other. I mean, I learned from Kilian. I learned from Uli. I, you know, I learned from you and, and we kind of improve as, as a team. And, and that's what's super interesting. And that's what's fun to kind yeah, of keep that journey going. It is fun. Well, I wish you two luck on your, your next adventure. Um, I would imagine that this sort of whetted your appetite for perhaps doing another trip together, I hope, as it certainly seems like it went, went really well until, until it didn't go well. But um, I, I, I look forward to being able to bring you guys back sometime in the future and talk about the success on, on Everest. Thank you. It's good. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and for sure, it will, be, it will be some more climbs together. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.